The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Well, here we are. This morning, I'm going to talk about this. A saviour has come. A saviour has come. You know, if you read the Gospel of Luke and you're reading there about what we would say is the Christmas story, you will read in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, this, where it says, Today, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. And whenever I read that, as I'm reading through that story, it always encourages me. That verse has meaning to me. That verse excites me, and that verse gives me some encouragement. It stirs me because of various things that have happened over the years, and I'm reading that verse at Christmas time or whatever, but it stirs me. But I thought this morning, rather than just look at that verse, which we will do, I want to take us, as it were, on a history of how that has come about and how it can impact us. So for that, we are going back to the very beginning of the Bible, the first book, the book of Genesis. There we are in the book of Genesis. We're meeting with Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They are enjoying relationship, fellowship, company with God. God is with them, and they have this peace. Everything, everything is perfect and wonderful. Now, I don't know whether that can apply to your life right now, Does it apply to your home, thinking about Christmas? It doesn't. Because we all know in this world, everything is far from all right and far from wonderful. Of course, we have our moments, and they're great. But if we live in reality, which we are living in reality, we know we're trying to protect ourselves often and keep things safe and nice and good and warm. It's not always wonderful. We know that. But in those days... Adam and Eve were there with God. Everything was wonderful because the presence of God brings peace and brings contentment and brings satisfaction. That's what God is like. God is love. And therefore, when you're with him, gosh, everything is loving. And all that love means, that is what it is to be in God's presence. Adam and Eve were in his presence. They were in the garden. Yes, they were working in the garden, but there weren't any weeds. Everything was wonderful. That's how it was. In fact, if they had any issues, hang on, how do I do about that? Hey, I just ask God. Because God's there to help them, just as he is to help us now. But it's like, for them, it was, this is what we do. We just talk to God. I've got an issue, God. What do I do with this? Hey, how do I do this? Everything is connection with God, and that's what it is like in the garden. But then there was that day when a snake appeared in the garden and this snake starts talking to Eve and this snake starts saying to Eve, did God really say that you couldn't eat from every tree? What what did God say? He's almost questioning her. You know, what is it? God said something to you about you can't eat from any tree? And so Eve replies to him, no, 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 no. We are allowed to eat from the trees. The fruit of the garden, we're allowed to eat. But there is this one tree in the center of the garden that God has said that we should not eat the fruit from that tree, for if we eat the fruit from that tree, we will surely die. We mustn't touch it even, is what she says. 
The serpent goes on to say, Genesis 3, verses 4 and 6, the serpent says back to her, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, I know that many are familiar with this passage and have read it before. But you see what happens. She eats this fruit. Adam eats this fruit. And sin enters into the world because they are disobedient. It's like he was thinking like, God, you've been holding out on us. This snake is telling me that actually if I eat that fruit, which you said I shouldn't eat, if I eat that fruit, then I gain understanding. I'm going to be like you. In fact, if I eat that fruit, I don't even need to worry about you. I can be completely self-sufficient in myself. I'm going to eat that fruit. So it's almost like she's suddenly thinking, God's been holding out on me. Why is he holding this back? I'm going to have that fruit. So, of course, she eats the fruit. Adam eats the fruit. And as they eat the fruit, they break the command of God. But as soon as that fruit is in their mouth, it's too late. You can't go back and undo what you shouldn't have done. And don't we know that from experiences in our own lives? You can't suddenly undo things. Those words that you said, those actions that you've undergone, they can't necessarily be undone. It was too late God's command had been broken, sin had come in, and now man was under the rule of sin and man's very nature, the very part of him that is almost that we act out of, that very nature that's within us, that had now become corrupted. And you know what it's like when something comes corrupted. It's just when your phone or your computer or something goes wrong, something goes wrong with the software, it becomes corrupted, and you know the feelings that result from that. That's what had happened to man. That's what's happened to us. What is God to do? What is God to do? You know, often we're looking at this from man's perspective. Man has sinned. But what about God? What is he supposed to do? God is holy. And when we say holy, it's, oh, God is holy. That's like a word. What does it mean? It means that in God there is no sin ever. He's never done anything wrong. He never thinks anything wrong. He is only loving and kind, pure and right in all of his ways. God, who is holy, is now facing the fact that holiness has been corrupted. Not his holiness, but the holiness that his people were living in has been corrupted. Sin, which is completely absent from his own nature, He's now experiencing in the people he's created. They are sinning. They are going against his ways. They have violated his command. They have disregarded his command. And that command was only given for their safety and their well-being. That command was only given to protect them and to look after them and to make sure things went well for them. It's been disregarded. And for God, like anything, there has to be consequences of this. As far as God is concerned, his holiness knows that sin has been committed. 
but his justice, making sure everything is done correctly and fairly, and everybody is treated correctly and fairly. His justice demands that that which has broken his commands needs to be dealt with. Sin needs to be punished. And yet at the same time, his heart is aching because he loves those people whom he has created. Romans 12, verse 2, in the Living Bible, it just says, of God, he will punish sin wherever it is found. Do you hear that? That's the result, and that's how horrible sin is. God has said this, I will punish sin wherever it is to be found. Why? Because it's completely different. It's totally the opposite of what he is like, and he will punish it. That's why Paul teaches the results of what I've just been talking about uh, are like this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. He, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for us, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The result of man, our first man, Adam and Eve, first woman, Eve, the result of them sinning has brought sin into all mankind. The result for us as men and women, further down the line, is that one day each of us will stand before God. And each of us will be asked questions about what we have done, whether good or bad. So we'll be there saying like, hey, don't you remember when I did this? Don't you remember when I bought that lovely gift for my father at Christmas Day? Don't you remember that? Don't you remember how I helped to bake the turkey? Don't you? All of those things that we're saying, this is what we've got. But God will also say, yes, but do you remember this? What you have done. Right from when you first appeared on the earth as a baby through to that moment when you are standing before him. Every, every person. There's no point in looking at the person in front of you, behind you, beside you, on either side. It's you. It's me who has to stand there as an individual before God. And just in case you didn't know, I can already tell you that there's a problem on that day because we have all sinned. And we have all fallen short of God's standards. That's what the Bible says. In fact, it's not just what the Bible says. When we see it and we know, have you ever done anything wrong? We, yes, I have. We're all in the same situation. So there's a predicament that we're all facing from the point of view that we are all sinners. We all have done wrong at some stage. We have all disobeyed God. And therefore, we are all to face the punishment of our sin because that is the way that God's justice, his being completely fair to every person, is to be upheld. How can we escape from such a horrendous situation that we face? Let's talk about the unfolding of a great plan. The unfolding of a great plan. Now, just as I went back to Genesis and talked about the entry point of sin, I'm also going back to Genesis and I'm now coming back into the story of Adam and Eve at that point in which, yes, they have sinned. And you know what? They knew something had happened as soon as they'd eaten the fruit. 
Because we read there of how God came back again. He comes to be with Adam and Eve. He comes to visit them. He comes to be with them as he had done before. But as God comes, he can't find them. Adam, Eve, where are you? God is calling out, where are you? Can I just say even now, God is calling out the same message. He's saying, where are you? Because God is looking for people to put them right with himself. Right then in the garden, he was saying, where are you? There's no voice. So God is crying, where are you? He's looking for them, and eventually they come forth, and God's saying, hey, hang on a second. Have you eaten the fruit from the tree? Something's changed, you see. So God asked them, have you eaten the fruit from the tree? And of course, it all comes out, yes, we have eaten. This has happened. And God goes on to talk to them about the consequences of what has happened. And we also find that God turns, not having only talked to Adam and Eve, but he talks to the serpent. And he indicates to the serpent that at some stage, a son of Eve is going to crush this serpent. Let me read to you from Genesis 3, verse 15. God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So even right at the beginning when sin has come in, there we get a glimpse of the fact that even in this horrendous situation, God is beginning to say, right, I have a plan. Something is going to happen. And it's at this point that we get the first glimpse of the fact that God has plans to deal with man's corruption as far as sin is concerned. And now the unfolding of that story basically begins. And as if you were to pick up the Bible and to start reading this, you will see, as you're reading a bit more, you come across a man named Abraham. And here's a guy that God speaks to, and he says, hey, I want you to leave your country. I want to leave your people. I want you to leave your family. I want you to come to a land that I'm going to direct you to. And so with the story of Abraham, where God is calling this man and bringing him out of a situation because God wants to deal with him, and God does deal with him. In fact, God says to him, he says, through your family, all nations are going to be blessed. And that's quite a statement because he's saying it to Abraham, who's married to Sarah, and Sarah is barren. So saying like through your family, hey, we haven't got family. We can't have family. And yet God is saying, through your family. Because God is a God who speaks And he is a God who enables things to come to pass. Unfortunately, we haven't got time to go into more of that. But we know that, yes, eventually, there is a child that is born to Abraham and Sarah, a boy called Isaac. And Isaac grows up, and Isaac himself gets married and has children. And one of his sons, Jacob, he also gets married and has many sons. And one of those sons is named Judah. And it's actually from the line of Judah that God speaks another promise. And God says to the line of Judah that a king is coming from your family line. So we're tracing this family line down, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. And this is what God says to Judah, Genesis 49 verse 10. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, Until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. 
And you know, if you were a Bible scholar or if you're a religious person in the Jewish time, you would have been reading these passages back and you'd have started to see, wow, God's got a plan here. This plan is coming up, first of all, through the establishment of the nation of Israel. And now through one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Judah, we are seeing that there's going to come somebody who is going to reign, who's going to have authority. That's what they're beginning to see. And so the idea came that there's going to be a king. A king is coming to rule over Israel. And of course we know that, not necessarily we know, but if you read, then you will know. You'll see that actually eventually Israel does get a king. And eventually they have a king who comes from the line of Judah. His name is David. So David isn't just God's, a man after God's heart. David could be the one. Is this the one that they have been talking about? The one who's going to bring salvation? The one who's going to bring change? This is King David. And we know that there was great joy with King David. David accomplished many things. David was a man after God's own heart, but David was also a corrupted man and a man who fell. He had Bathsheba's husband murdered so that he could marry her and he had an affair with her. Wow, this isn't quite what we think is the answer to God's plan. But you know what? After David had fallen into sin, a prophet comes to him and speaks to David this word. He says in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. There's still something about David's line that is very, very important. And you know what? As people follow on David's line, David's going to have a son. David has a son, Solomon. And actually, Solomon is the one who's being geared up to be the king after David. He is king after David. And he starts his life really hanging on to God and doing God's will. But unfortunately, we see by the end of Solomon's life that he has gone after women. He's gone after money. He's gone after everything. He's gone after foreign gods. He has become corrupted. And you know what? As we continue to see the line of kings unfolded from David, from Solomon, from his son, and so on, we see good and bad in some of the kings. Sometimes they're rising up and following God's ways. But where is this king who is supposed to be coming to help us and although they're waiting and waiting, they still see, in actual fact, everything goes wrong because the kings are overruled and overcome. The nation is overcome by the Babylonians. And suddenly there is no king in Israel. In fact, there is no Israel because the people of Israel have been taken off into captivity. What on earth is going to happen? Where is this promised king? But it's during this time of captivity and even before then that God continues to speak to his people about his great plans and he sends his prophets to talk to them, to bring them back to him, to guide them in his ways. He talks of an anointed one who is coming. That's what the prophets talk about. This anointed one who is going to be a king and even though the people are thinking, God, where are you? Do you care for us? God does care for his people. God is faithful to his people. 
And having sent these prophets, these prophets keep reminding them of the things of God. They keep reminding the people of the promises that God has made. They keep reminding him that God is going to bring a king. Not just a king, it's like a a shepherd. One who is going to gather together his people. One who is going to be their savior. This is the Messiah. This anointed one who is yet to come. Who is going to be the one who is going to defeat the devil. And is going to establish God's kingdom. Still being spoken of. And it's great that the prophets are speaking about it. But you know what? The prophets come, they say their peace, the prophets also pass away. And it gets to a point where the people are wondering, when is this ever going to happen? When are God's promises going to come true? You know what? We even get the rising of nations. You've had the Babylonians who've come and taken over. Now we come to a time when the Romans have arisen. And now there's the Roman Empire that's been established across, uh, well, what we know, your maps, you think of that. (laughs) It's been established. And we come to the time when Herod is king of Israel. It says that he's king of Israel, but actually he's like a ruler who's been put there by the Romans to make sure everything's okay. It's a bit political. Herod is king of Israel. Caesar Augustus is ruling the Roman Empire, and he he is the one who's appointed Herod as king of Judea. This is what's happening politically, what's happening on the everyday basis, but the promises of God were not forgotten. The Jewish leaders of this time, they were regularly reading the scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. They were encouraging people to be zealous in keeping the law of Moses. And yet in their talks and in their discussions, they were eagerly awaiting that God would fulfill the plans, the promises that he had spoken about over the generations that have gone before them. The plans of the king, the shepherd, the Messiah, the anointed one. Where was he? And their feeling was that this Messiah is coming soon. And this Messiah is going to rise up and he's going to cause the Romans to be defeated. We are going to have a king back. And Israel is going to know exactly the purposes of God. The purposes of God are going to be brought onto the nations. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for this Messiah to come. And the prophets had said many strange things. This Messiah was going to be an anointed one and yet he was also going to suffer. He was going to suffer for the sins of the people. He was going to be bruised. He was going to be hurt. But, so they, they had lots of information, but they didn't quite know how it was all going to come together. But they knew that something was going to happen. But you know what? The time from when the prophets had stopped speaking about God, there had now been 400 years, as it were, of silence. It's almost like God hasn't seemed to say much over the last, not just 10 minutes, or four days, or four hours, or four years, but for the last 400 years. But we are waiting. We are waiting. And then, one night. On one night, on a hillside near Jerusalem, Luke records it like this, and there were shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This wasn't just the Christmas story that we see in plays or that we see depicted on the TV or read about. This was the culmination of God. Bringing his saviour, his anointed one. And did you notice how that the angels announced that in the town of David a saviour had been born to them? He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. This is the one you have been waiting for. They were looking for a king who was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were looking for great and mighty things. And they've just been told... A baby has come. But we are told in Scripture, Paul mentions in Galatians 4, verse 4, when the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And John the Apostle writes this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. God had sent his son, into the world as the anointed one, the one who is going to be a king, the one who will shepherd his people, the one who is going to be a savior, the one who is going to suffer for sin. He had sent him into the world to be the savior of the world. That is what we are celebrating at Christmas time. We're celebrating the fact that in the garden, when man had dis disobeyed God's word, had gone his own way, had allowed sin to come in, had found the corruption that we all know about and all understand in our lives. That day, now a saviour has come to redeem us from everything. The curse of that day that had come upon us, he's come to redeem us from that. Today, Luke says, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. What does a saviour do? A saviour saves you. He rescues you. He liberates you. That's what a saviour does. We can see a picture of somebody is drowning and somebody throws them a lifeline or they come to them. They save them from certain death. A saviour is somebody who saves from certain death. 
Jesus has come because the certainty of our sin is that we will face death. We will be punished for our sin. And we know we have done wrong. But God knows and he so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. That is the good news. And when we come to celebrate Christmas, we are remembering all the joy, the lights, the celebrations. We're remembering all the traditions. We're remembering having family fun. We're remembering all of those things. But primarily, we are remembering that a Savior has come to us. And you know what I was thinking about? It's not just that I need a savior because I have done wrong and I need forgiveness and I need to know that the punishment of my sin has been taken by my savior Jesus. It's almost like I know that now and I need to get all that rubbish from the past cleared up. But I need a savior to rescue me from every thought, every action that I still walk in that is not right. I need a saviour day by day, moment by moment. But in the scriptures I find the good news today. In the town of David, a saviour has been born to us that we might find freedom, that we might find salvation, that we might be able to overcome temptations, that we might be able to live according to God's law, which is that we love one another not just saying, oh, well, I've been nice to somebody. But love forgives. Love does not remember those things that you've done wrong. Love prefers. Love changes. Because God is love and that is what he is like. So when we come to this Christmas, we're remembering all of the wonderful things that we can be involved in as families. But primarily we're remembering this. He came to save us, to save us from our sins so that we might be redeemed to him. We might come back into relationship with him and that we might be able to live with God. Yes, of course, you hear at Christmas, God, uh, God's name is, or one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. I need to know Emmanuel. The God can be with me. The God can help me. You need Emmanuel. Because you need God with you. To help you. Overcome those times. Those struggles. Let's not pretend we don't have them. They're many and varied. Whether they're temptations with money, sex, power. All sorts of things. We have temptations. Whether it's just that we're a, a grumpy ungrateful person who doesn't care like the other person in the office that you have to work with you know that type of person the person at the shop what's the matter with them God can come to change our hearts so that we can be the people he has called us to be because what he wants is he wants to develop his kingdom as king through our lives to bring change into the environments in which we find ourselves so can I encourage every one of you this Christmas time, make space for the Savior of the world. 
because he has come to rescue you. He's come to set you free. He's come to release you and to bring you into a new life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.